everyone, it is Stephanie Postles, the host of Up Next in Commerce. Before we get into our latest interview with another e-commerce leader, I wanted to let you know that the Up Next in Commerce podcast is now available for sponsorship for the first time ever. By partnering with us, your company will be connected to interviews with the most compelling founders, CEOs, VPs, and digital leaders in the world of commerce today. You have nothing to gain but thousands of followers and millions of impressions each and every month. Reach out to me at stephanie at mission.org to see how your business can benefit from partnering with our team at Up Next in Commerce. So many of these different scenarios could have totally bankrupt us or ended us, but I think it built a lot of character going through these different situations, surviving it and learning from it and growing from it. Let's get this out of the way now. Most companies will not have someone go from intern to CEO in a matter of months. That is a situation unique to James Stanley and Soleil Bicycles. What isn't out of the ordinary, though, are the many challenges and hurdles that James and his team had to deal with when scaling Soleil into the success it is today. On this episode of Up Next in Commerce, James takes us through the trials and tribulations of the Soleil journey, including various shipping and manufacturing disasters and the lawsuits that nearly bankrupted the company. And he explains how he worked his way out of all those troubles and what he learned along the way. Plus, he gives some secrets on what's working well for Soleil now, including the strategy of finding different touch points to reach a consumer in a way that has nothing to do with selling to them. Enjoy this episode. Up Next in Commerce is brought to you by Salesforce Commerce Cloud. Respond quickly to changing customer needs with flexible e-commerce connected to marketing, sales, and service. Deliver intelligent commerce experiences your customers can trust across every channel. Together, we're ready for what's next in commerce. Learn more at salesforce.com slash commerce. Before we get into the episode, I would love it if you could hit subscribe and give the show a rating and review. I really want to know what you think and hear how we're doing. All right, on to the interview. Hey everyone, this is Stephanie Postles and you're listening to Up Next in Commerce. Today on the show, we have James Stanley. He's the president and founding partner at Soleil Bicycles. James, welcome. Hey, how are you guys doing? Doing good. Thanks for joining us. Yes, I'm super excited to talk about all things e-commerce with you guys. Yeah, I was just looking through your website and I am very excited to get a bicycle after this. I didn't even know I needed one, but now I do. Totally, totally. Yeah. We, uh, we have tons of great bikes and, um, yeah, and tons of cool, uh, different colorways and options and a bike for just about anyone's kind of need. So, yeah. Awesome. So tell me a bit about how you started Soleil. I think it was in college, right? Yeah. So we were, um, um, my business partners that I ended up starting the business with and I, we met back funny enough at my first venture, which was a, a music festival. I helped start back in college. Um, we were mm-hmm. both partners in that and, um, it was called the Coachella for the mountains. Yeah. Right? yeah, yeah. It was, yeah. <laughs> I think I read. Yeah. So, uh, so it was called snowball. Right. And the idea was Coachella uh-huh. meets on the mountains. And, um, okay. yeah, there was this guy, Chad Donnelly, who I knew through the lacrosse world. I played college lacrosse and he, he came up with the concept and I was, um, I was always involved in music. Uh, like growing up, I was like a concert pianist and I had like DJed in college and been in bands growing up. And so we met through the lacrosse world and he came up with this idea and he had 
he had um, reached out to me just to ask like his, you know, my opinion on the project and what I thought about it. And at the time I was a freshman in college, he has, he was asking me about it and I ended up just going back to him and saying, Hey, I want to be a part of this. I think this is amazing. And so we, I was part of that initial team and we kicked off this event with like Edward Sharp and the magnetic zeros and base nectar and pretty lights and Diplo and all these amazing artists come out and sold like 15,000 tickets. Wow. And yeah, it was a, it was a really cool, you know, first venture and first, um, a first event. And, um, yeah, so to Jake and John, my original um, founders with Soleil, they were partners in it as well. And they kind of helped get some of the money for the project. So we met. First year was a huge success and we stayed in contact. At the same time, they were coming up with the idea for Soleil. And uh, going back that summer, between my freshman year and my sophomore year of college, they were looking for some additional help on Soleil. And so I said, I could, I'd come in and I've got a more like operational financial sort of uh, background or mind. And they were more the creatives and the sort of like visionary type of people. And so I came in, kind of helped clean things up and we got the business off the ground. And then, you know, going through the summer, they ended up going and raising some money and starting another business. And I ended up taking over the business. I went from being like technically an intern in May to the CEO in August. So yeah, so that's, uh, that's how I kind of got involved and, um, shoot, that was 2011. So we're going on, you know, nine years ago and I've been CEO ever since. Wow. Very cool. So, I mean, that's a wild story. <laughs> how many bikes were you guys selling when you took over and like, where are you at now? So I can get kind of like the scale of the company. Totally. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Our, our first year we, we had a like, we were featured on this big Forbes article and, um, the, the business sort of took off and I think we sold maybe, you know, like a thousand bikes our first year, which was like a lot for uh, a yeah. first year business. This past year, we're going to sell about uh, 15,000 bikes. So wow, yeah, we've grown, grown quite a bit. That's great. And so what is the selling point of Soleil bikes? Like, how's it different? Totally, totally. Yeah. For us, like our main selling point is you go look at the bike and it's just going to look different than any other bike you've ever seen before, right? We're, we're really heavy on our marketing and design and colorways and wanted to make something that's really, really simple, easy to use, easy to maintain, but also like looks really beautiful. You know, something that has like personality and really like people can relate to, right? I think a bicycle uh, for most companies is more of a utility product, something that's really spec driven. And for us, mm -hmm. like we wanted to make something that people were like really, really proud of. And it's like, that they can relate to and, you know, find a colorway that really matches their personality or like, you know, they, they could listen to our music fix tapes or, or like find these other ways that we can, you know, that people are really, you know, people can relate to the product. Yeah. And so that's really allowed us to set ourselves apart from other, other bike brands. Well, and it seems like pricing is also a big thing. I mean, the one thing I've always thought is why the heck are bikes so expensive? Why? <laughs> and how do you get your guys cost down? Totally. So totally. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, the biggest, the biggest, way we do it is we, you know, work directly with a manufacturer and we sell directly to our customers. Right. So just the natural by cutting out some of the normal distributors or middlemen, we're able to offer what would be a traditionally higher price point product, uh, for a lower price and pass those savings on to the consumer by selling direct. So tell me a bit more about that, because like, what did that look like finding a manufacturer? I think I saw you found in the early days, your manufacturer on Alibaba, right? Which I was like, oh, that's interesting because I feel like Alibaba, I mean, it seemed, 
I've been there before and there's a lot going on. Totally. <laughs> there's a lot of people. It's hard to know who's like who to trust. It's hard to know if they're going to send me something good. So like, how did you guys go about, you know, finding a manufacturer there? Did it work out well? Give me some behind the scenes. Totally, totally. Yeah, yeah. So uh, when we got the business kicked off, we actually were involved in this like Alibaba business plan competition. Um, so we're back when we were in college, we uh, Jake and John had applied for this business plan competition. They won it and we got a $15,000 grant from Alibaba. That grant or that money paid for them to initially go over, meet our first supplier who Alibaba had helped set up and we got our first order of bikes in. And that's like, that's, that's what the initial financing that got the business kicked off. But over time we, you know, went through a few different suppliers and really had to like iterate our process. And I spent a lot of time over in China, you know, meeting with different suppliers, refining the product, getting it to a place where it's, uh, where it is today. It took a lot, of, a lot of trips over there and a lot of refining. In the early days when you're picking your suppliers and manufacturers, what would you do differently this time around? Like what lessons did you learn or what things did you maybe stumble on in the early days that you could avoid if you were to redo it now? Um, so what I would recommend is, you know, we got placed with the supplier via Alibaba and we just work with the first person we were placed with. Mm -hmm. I think like we ended up switching a few different suppliers over time, but what really like ended up getting us with a supplier that we were super happy with is we went over there and I went to one of the big trade shows and we ended up visiting like another 15 or 20 during this, this trip I went on about year two or three. And that trip we ended up finding the supplier we worked with still to this day. And so it's, we really got to like go out and meet these people and do, do your diligence and find the supplier that makes the most sense for you and not just use the first one that um, you end up getting placed with or you end up meeting with. Um, and you, and you got, you got to go to go over there and like really develop a relationship with them. I mean, it's so important. Mm -hmm. They have this, um, they have this saying there, it's first you drink tea, then you drink Mount Thai and then you talk business. And what, what I mean by that is like, they want to meet you, the, the different suppliers and the different people over there want to meet you. They want to build a personal relationship and then they want to talk business because mm -hmm. it's so important there to have a personal relationship as well as a business relationship. So, you know, if you're going to try to source something from China or over, overseas, I'd recommend going over there and meeting these people and spending time with them and, on, you know, learning, meeting them as people and, and really developing a relationship because that's going to help that business relationship over time and, and make, a, make a really, really strong business relationship. Yep. So if you don't go and meet them and you don't know, you know, you didn't really do your due diligence, what kind of problems could a new company encounter? Like, did you encounter any issues in the early days with some of your suppliers that you stopped working with? You know, the supply chain for a bicycle is pretty complex, right? Like for our product alone, there's over 50 parts and, you know, those 50 parts come from, from like 20 different other suppliers. And then those have to come into an assembler. The assembler puts the product together and then, it, you know, it's shipped over. So, and there's a ton of different things that can go wrong. And, you know, a good example would be we, we had one of our biggest shipments ever at the time for the business. We had put in a, an order for summer and it was like 2000 units. And mm -hmm. we had also set up uh, a big sale online with a company called fab.com. Um, mm -hmm. And at the time they were like having, I don't know if you remember the company fab.com, but they were like, yeah. One of the fastest companies to a billion dollar valuation, I think. And people were talking about it as the next Amazon. And it was like having this really big moment and we were selling really well on there. And we partnered with them. We were like, Hey, we're going to bring in a bunch of units. Let's have a really, really big sale. And we have this massive sale. We sell like 1500 to 2000 units, pre-sell them. 
it ends up being the biggest sale ever on fab up to that point. And, uh, so the, do the sale bits come in and then we ship all the product out. Well, our manufacturer had packaged the bikes slightly incorrect to where like the, the, the crank arm is usually woven through, you know, the front, the front wheel, which is detached and attached to the side mm-hmm. of the bike when it shipped. And so there was all, it was, they were all packaged slightly off the, that every, almost every single bike came with one of the spokes popped off. And, um, oh. you know, like, you're, you know, you get, you get your brand new bike that you just bought offline, a yeah. brand new, beautiful bike. You open it up and like one of the spokes popped off, which it's like, you can't ride it, but it is, it's a, it's yeah. a small problem, but it's not an easy problem to fix. Yeah. And that, oh my gosh, that was, that situation almost bankrupt us. What ended up happening? We, what did you guys we had, do? Yeah, we 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 had the product on credit. We had been sold the product on credit, so we went back to the supplier and we're like, "Hey, like this is you guys are gonna like this is gonna bankrupt us, you know? Like we we got to figure something out." And they refused to to take any discount on it. So then our advisor was like, "Hey, like we're gonna just hold payment until we get something settled." They ended up serving us a lawsuit. They came to America, served us a lawsuit. So then we were served oh and had to go through this entire, and, and mind you, like, I'm like 21 years old at the time. I'm like still in school. We get served a lawsuit. I'm like, oh my gosh, what is, what is going on? Um, so we had to like hire a lawyer who was our buddy. He was only like 30 and uh, we didn't have a ton of money and we had to like put together a case and actually go out and like, you know, sort of defend ourselves. Did you win? So we go through this and we, we hired this lawyer and he's like, look, you guys don't have the money to you know, afford me. So I'm going to teach you how to build this case. So I went and actually built this you know, timeline of everything that's happened. And we came up with a case theory and um, sort of countersued them. They responded and deposed me. I had to go through this like you know, 40 exhibit, eight hour deposition. And, um, but like we kind of held our ground and got through it. And after that, it got to the point where it was like financially made the most sense to settle and we're able to settle for like what ended up being about half off of what the original was. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. That's wild. I mean, I'm just imagining being in college, dealing with that. I mean, how was that experience being in college? I'm just thinking like all of a sudden you have this company and you're having to go to China and now you're getting sued. And like, what was the college experience like for you when you were having something very different than probably a lot of your peers? Yeah, it was, it was, to be honest, it was like really exciting, you know, like you felt like it was just so cool to be like building something and going through this. And it was like, we were so ignorant, I think going through a lot of this stuff, which I think ended up actually helping us. Like we was just very shoot from the hip and like figure it out. We all, so many of these different scenarios could have like totally bankrupt us or ended us. But I think like it built a lot of character by like going through these different situations and like surviving it and learning from it and growing from it. And, and, and the, the, you know, the goal was just like, don't, you know, you know, don't go bankrupt. Don't, don't die. Like keep yeah. fighting and figure it out. So yeah, that's good. I like that. And I could see it also just making it seem like, well, what, what else? Like nothing can really scare me. I mean, I've gotten sued. I almost went bankrupt. Like, you know, there's nothing too scary out there after that. Yeah. I think that's a good place to be. It's, 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 it's part of like building a business, right? Like you're going to face adversity and there's a reason nine out of 10 businesses fail, right? It's, there's, there's so many things that can go wrong with building a business, but you have to learn to like embrace those challenges and know that like, you just got to fight through it. And there's, there's always a, you know, there's not always a way to figure it out, but there's oftentimes you can, you know, if you keep working at it and you keep fighting, like you can find ways to get through these things. And if you do get through them, these are like sort of like business cars, I guess you could say, or like, 
you know, things that you'll, that'll stick with you and you can grow and build on as you continue to build, build your business. So, you know, after going through all this stuff over you know, so many different situations over so many years, we've now learned to like embrace the challenge and just know, Hey, there's going to be some new challenge or every year. There's going to be some new thing that's going to, you know, we're going to get hit with and you just have to, to learn to embrace it and, and take it head on and not let it beat you up. So. Yep. I love that. So you guys seem really good at partnerships. I mean, I've seen some of the very well-known companies that you work with who they get their own custom bikes built and you've got things with artists going on and music and all that. Like, how do you, um, how do you view that strategy in your playbook to be able to access new customers and new markets? Like, and how do you even develop those partnerships? Totally. So a lot of that was built from like, again, like, you know, we started the company we weren't the traditional bike guys. We were coming from the music background, a fashion background, you know, a huge art scene. Um, and so we had all these relationships early on and, you know, just out of like pure, like having those relationships, we, we in, intertwined it in the business and you have like the fixed tape series, which, you know, one of our early, early employees was a professional DJ. So he's like, Hey, I got this idea. Let's create an hour long mix to listen to while I'm riding our bike and we'll go get some of our other DJ friends to do it. And mm -hmm. that piece of content, right. Just that, that we created that and it's been rolling ever since. And we just launched the Sophie Tucker one, which was, I think our 76 mixtape. Right. And so then cool. that artist creates that mix. And some of these DJs are like very globally known DJs. We post it on our SoundCloud and they share it on their SoundCloud and it creates this nice like piece of content that people can come back to and find, you know, Soleil uh, mm -hmm. or find that, that mix each month. Right. And, it's funny because like, you know, you wouldn't think of us as a, a music business or a bike business, but there's people out there in the world that only know us as the fixed tape company. You know, they don't even, the people mm -hmm. will find us and be like, oh my gosh, you guys like sell bikes? I thought you were just the fixed tape company or something, you know? Um, so yeah. it's just like or, organic sort of like different little marketing tricks that we've, or little tactics that we've built over the years. And they just are a organic, unique way to reach new customers and, uh, you know, relate with our customers. We do yeah. the different partnerships. Like again, I'll, I'll use the Sophie Tucker example. Like they're a big DJ group. If you don't know them, they're a big DJ group globally known. I, I think one of their fun facts, I think they have a platinum record in every country in the world, except Antarctica. They're pretty big and they're up and coming. And, you know, they had a song that's called purple hat. And one of the lines mm -hmm. in the song is purple hat sheet of print. And so we thought, how cool would it be to make a purple hat, their purple cheetah print bike? And so we had connections to one of their agencies or, you know, marketing companies or whatnot. So we were able to get a pitch in front of them and they were super stoked on it. And uh, yeah, now we're selling purple hat cheetah print bikes. <laughs> and again, it's, 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 a, it's a cool way to like, what other bike companies are selling purple cheetah print bikes? You know, it's just a unique way to, to, to reach new customers and provide a unique product and put a cool product out in the world that, you know, no one else is doing. And I think it's just thinking that way with, within the bike industry has allowed us to build up these partnerships and set ourselves apart from other bike companies. Yep. And when you're doing these partnerships, these partners can also sell it on their website, right? So it's not all being sourced back to your website as a central hub. You're essentially letting these partners also sell the bikes on their websites as well, right? Totally, totally, yeah. <clears throat> For like, mm -hmm. each one is, each partnership's bespoke and different in their own way. Sometimes like, we did a partnership with Wild Fox, which is a women's centric fashion brand. And like, we did these like really beautiful floral prints all over a bicycle. 
And they took them in and they sold them through all their retail shops, as well as their partner wholesale shops, as, part, as well as their website. And we sold on our website. So there's like a bunch of different ways we can structure it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's usually just bespoke to whatever that partnership is. Well, that's a good segue into, I mean, when you're thinking about, you know, you've got these mixtapes going out and partnerships that aren't in, you know, anywhere close to like the biking industry, how are you tracking conversions? Like, is your goal to try and get people to listen to these mixtapes and then come back and buy bikes? Or how do you think about what your goals are around these different projects that you're doing? Totally, totally. Um, With the fixed tapes, right? I think it's, we're trying to push out a certain amount of content like each month and each quarter. And so then we go out and we build content calendars around, you know, what, what are our different initiatives that we can tap into? You know, I think when we're thinking about content, we, we like to look and start with email. So email is like one of our highest converting marketing channels, constantly mm-hmm. filling and adding to our email list. And then from there, we're trying to push out two to three emails a week. And so like we're mapping out, you know, our email pushes, we, 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 we say, what are our different uh, content uh, initiatives that we can tap into? So we try to do a fixed tape, you know, every two months. And we have to try to do an artist series every quarter and large scale partnership once or twice a year, right? And so we map out all these different things that we're trying to do. And then we funnel and then that leads into, you know, email, right? And with email where you can't really just send very bland marketing type style emails you know, every month you're not going to get good engagement. So we have to create stuff that's engaging. Right. And I think we've just gotten so good at creating this stuff very cost effectively that it's, it ends up paying for itself through the conversions of email. And, and just, it's also a great brand building. Uh, they're, they're all mm-hmm. great brand building initiatives and they all kind of build on themselves. Right. Like if I do a big large scale partnership with like a Sophie Tucker, that's going to come back and open up new opportunities down the road for other potential brands or other potential artists. Right. And so it's, it's sort of all built on itself as we go bigger and bigger. Yeah. So when you're talking about emails really high, when it comes to converting customers, how do you think about creating that engaging content? Like what pieces of content are working or what emails work best? Um, I think one of the more interesting, uh, fun little uh, emails that we came up with years ago, and it's like the easiest thing to create ever, is we do what we call Sole Saturday. So the Sole Saturday... Okay is uh, usually one or it's one photo by the Soleil team and then three user-generated photos. And so, so every bike we ship out has a little tag on it that says, you know, tag at Soleil Bicycles, hashtag, and use hashtag above the bars for your chance to be featured. And so then what we do is as we're selling product, customers are going out and taking photos for us. And every Saturday we feature three, three of our customers. And that, again, is just like a, you know, we're using user-generated content and we're um, it's creating a nice, nice email that people can go back to and see if they're featured. And it's actually very high converting as well. That's fine. I do think having actual customers and photos is where a lot of brands are going to be headed. Less about the models and the people who look perfect and more about, you know, is this someone who kind of reminds me of myself? And I can see myself riding that bicycle. Totally. And just, yeah, feeling a better connection with them. And it's funny you say that because it's even like when you look at, you go to like our paid spend or paid marketing, like, a lot of times the overproduced sort of content where it's on a really get a really expensive content creator to produce it. And it looks very professional versus like content that's shot on iPhone or content that's just shot with like, you know, customers photos that ends up converting a lot better than the higher, uh, higher produced stuff. And I think that's just like the mm-hmm. people who can relate more to it, you know? Yep. 
I agree. I mean, what kind of channels are you putting that content or, you know, the more natural looking content that your customers are creating? I mean, what channels are you finding are working best right now to convert customers? We're constantly testing when we're doing Facebook and Instagram ads. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, so I've been serving different type of ads to different audiences on Facebook and Instagram with different types of content, the more professionals type of content versus like the more just like shot from iPhone vibe. Um, And even like over the last year, like we've had a big uptick because on our online business because of of COVID and people, you know, being at home and wanting to find a way to get outside and, you know, and escape sort of this madness. And one of the craziest things that we found was like iPhone ads or the story ad specific. So ads built just, just in the format for iPhones were converting at like crazy, crazy higher row ads versus like just more static or traditional images or, um, ads on like the Facebook or Instagram. So yeah, that was like a kind of a crazy thing we kind of came up on this year. There's, a, there's like a very beautiful, simple ad where it's just like the bike on the beach and you have like the, the sky in the background and then the sand below it. And, um, and then just like the brand and a little copy below it. And like that little ad was like actually, absolutely killed it for us this year. That's great. Are you still using maybe not that ad, but still putting new ads into the story? A section on iPhones? Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and I recommend any brand out there that's doing, I mean, you know, it's like, I'm, I've been learning a lot of this as we go and like trying to get better at it. But like you can, when you're creating your ads on Facebook and Instagram for when you're setting that ad up, you can actually s- split it so that it's like, you know, you have this certain photo for, for the static setup. And then you have a different photo for when it's served on story. Like my biggest eyesore or I hate is like when you're on a story and you get an ad and it's like an ad that's built for the display. So it has like the kind of squared picture and then it has the the words under it. I don't know if you guys have seen that, mm-hmm. but like it's, yep. it's, it's such an eyesore to me compared to like a beautiful ad that's like really built for the stories. And so just making sure that you have those, have the ads set, the story specific ads, um, I think it's, 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 it'll help your conversion so much. It's helped us a ton. That's, yeah, that's a really good point. So what kind of return on spend should a brand expect from the iPhone story ads versus maybe Instagram or Facebook or TikTok? Ooh, that's like a, you know, that's a tough question. I think it's specific to the brand and the product they're selling. And then like, even like the, the time of year, right? Like for us right now, we're, you know, our ROAS is way lower than like the middle of summer. It's almost like 10th of what it was during the summer. Right. And that's just because it's seasonality of our product. Uh, we saw specific, you know, like static versus story, during the summer, I think it was converting like a three or four X of what it was static. Um, but that's specific to us. So, you know, I think yep. every brand's different, every product's different. But yeah, I think that can give you an idea of like the potential. Yeah. Very cool. Is there any other um, new marketing channels that you're trying out there? Like, I'm not sure if this will work, but we are, you know, allocating some funds here to try this out. Um, no, for now we're, for now we're focusing just on, um, you know, Facebook, Instagram, we're doing Google AdWords and we need to be targeting. I want to dip my toes in some other things. Like I want to try the TikTok and I want to try some Pinterest. Uh, I just, yeah. I've heard about the TikTok, but the tracking's not that great on it. And so yeah. we haven't, we haven't done anything yet. And also TikTok's, I think for a little bit lower age or younger demographic than you know, what our target audience is. So I don't know. We've had a We've had a lot of people on here saying TikTok works well and that originally it was just the dancing videos and younger people and all that. And people are like, it seems like there's still a good arbitrage opportunity on TikTok right now because the attribution and tracking might be worse, but 
uh, you still get, you know, a lot of the benefit of going onto a new platform before they increase the pricing and actually understand like what kind of uh, conversions, you know, they're hitting. So I don't know, it might be a spot to check totally, out. Totally. There we go. That's my, that's my takeaway from this. We're, we're going we're gonna to give it, <laughs> we'll give it a go. We'll give it a go. Yeah. Give it a whirl <laughs> and see. So when uh, new customers are coming onto your website, I want to talk a bit about like, how do you guide them through the funnel? Like, how do you personalize things and show them, you know, not only content, but also maybe a bike that would work for them or that might pique their interest? Totally, totally. Yeah. So we, we, it's an interesting, well, there's a few things we do. We have like, you know, about, about our bikes page where it's like, which Soleil are you? That kind of walks them through the different, we have like six different models, right? You have the single speed fixed gear, you have the city bike, you have the Dutch step through, you have the three speed city bike, and then you have the coastal cruiser, top bar and coastal cruiser uh, downward slanting bar. So we have a page that like will walk the customers through the difference between all those and, and the, you know, the pros and the cons of each of those. And that can kind of explain the style. Then once you know the style, what we do different than many, maybe other companies is we actually each, each product, each colorway has its own product variant versus like you may go see a single speed version of one of our competitors and they keep all the colors on one product page we create the personality and like each, each, each colorway has its own personality and its own page. And, and it really helps customers kind of like, like, okay, I like the red bike and see the lifestyle images for that red bike. And it's, you know, the red bike would be our ocean for a walk. And it's got its own story, help the customers really like fall in love with that product and tell a story around each of them versus like, mm-hmm. you know, them all being bun- bundled up on the one page. That's great. And then I was seeing a couple of retail stores that you were partnering with probably pre-COVID, but it seems like there'd be a really good opportunity to have those partners also kind of market and share for you while they're getting in front of their own new customers as well. It seems like they would kind of take on the budget, like the marketing budget to then share your brand, you know, under their brand, if that makes sense. Totally, totally, totally. Yeah. We're seeing a big uptick with like these online third-party wholesalers and distributors. Mm-hmm. And I and and that's been like you know, for us, we, I, I think our product just, it's got such a great look and feel to it that it can transcend from not just like traditional, like sporting goods or, or traditional bike centric channels, right? Like we can sell on sites like an urban outfitters or like, you know, Zola yeah. or like some of these other more lifestyle driven sites that, that want a cool lifestyle product in the bike space. And so that's like, we, we're, that's one of our big initiatives that we're trying to get on more of these like third-party digital, you know, wholesaler channels, because in the last year, what we've seen, the biggest takeaway from all this is like, everything is going digital much faster than it was prior to COVID. Yep. And are those partners showcasing your brand or are they more white labeling, like ordering the bikes and then putting it under their brand to say, okay, this is an Urban Outfitters bike. Or are they actually saying, no, this is Soleil? No, no, we're, like, yeah, we're, we're selling as, as Soleil. Yeah, we're selling as Soleil mm-hmm. through these third parties. Yeah. That's awesome. And how do you how are you getting in front of these big partners? I mean, Urban Outfitters is huge and super popular. Like, how did you even get in front of them and convince them to partner with you guys to sell your bikes? Uh, yeah, just cold email them, right? <laughs> Uh, All right, who are you cold emailing? Email. Tell us your secrets. Come on, James. Very easy. Just, we're, we're, yeah, we'll go out there. Like if, if we believe our product could fit in, you know, someone's store or someone's space and like, we'll hit them up and we'll, you know, we're very confident in our product and our brand and we'll sell them on it. And, and it, it, it works a ton. And then there's other partners that have reached out to us and want, want us to work with them. I, I think like 
a good example, we were connecting, you know, Target reached out to us. We've just recently started selling on Target's website, which I think is like, you know, it, it's interesting with them, like Target's trying to, in each of their product categories, bring like a, a more 21st century brand in. And I think like mm-hmm. we, we really fit that, you know, that really like lifestyle driven, you know, 21st century brand for a product. And normally it doesn't really, there's not a lot of brands in the space that have that kind of fit. And um, I think we, we really fit the ethos as well. So that's, that's an exciting one for us. Um, and then, like I said, like the Zola, right? Like that's Zola is a, a, one of the biggest wedding registry sites. And um, you know, we're the, we're one of the only bike brands on there as well. And do, do really, really well on there. Oh, that's a good angle. I wouldn't think to put a bike on a wedding registry website but that's awesome because a lot of times it's just the same old same old where you're like i don't need more plates yeah. but i could go for a bike i would put that on my register we, we sell so many bikes there you would be you'd be you'd be really really surprised it's a it's a great wedding gift we yeah. have it hits in our hair so i'm almost every single order that goes to there is two bikes obviously that's that's awesome really good strategy so how are you keeping up with fulfillment and the back end, I mean, especially when you're integrating all these partners like Target and Urban Outfitters, I mean, what happens if Target has a big surge and they've got, you know, they've got a bunch of traffic come to their website and all of a sudden you've got 500 bike orders. Like, how are you guys keeping up behind the scenes to make sure that you don't, you know, go out of stock or have issues on the back end? Totally, totally. This was something like this year that we've invested a lot of time and energy and effort into is like having leveraging technology to make sure like all this stuff runs super smooth. So, you know, we're using like a third party warehouse that has their own systems and then we have to use you know EDI and EDI uh, software our partner to connect to a lot of these systems and so it's just you know spending the time energy and effort to really like automate all this stuff and make sure all these systems talk to each other and there's inventory pushes going out multiple times a day you put in the front end work to to automate all this stuff so that you avoid you, you can avoid those problems right and so there's systems that say hey you know there's inventory pushes that happen multiple times a day to all these systems. So if there's a big spike on say a target, right, that inventory is removed and pushed out to the other channels so that there's no overselling or minimal overselling. There's still like happens a little bit here and there because the inventory pushes don't go out all the time. You know, it's like a couple times a day, but yeah, it's just about leveraging. There's a ton of technology out there, like using the technology to your advantage to, you know, automate this stuff. Mm-hmm. So what are some big bets that you guys at Soleil are making over the next couple of years? Like, where do you think the bicycle market is headed? What are some things that you're betting on that you're not sure if they're going to pay off or not over the next couple of years? Yeah, totally. I, I think it goes back to digital. Like we're super focused on digital right now and we're super bullish on digital. You know, we're, we're investing this technology to kind of make sure that we're set up to scale. And then we want to continue to expand, you know, where we're selling and who we're selling in front of. On yeah. top of that, it's, you know, continuing to expand how we market our product and where we market our product and the, the media partners we can use to get in front of these different people. I think like the biggest thing, you know, people having to stay at home as a result of COVID has set all these new habits. I think they say mm-hmm. like it takes three weeks to, uh, you know, set a habit and what we've all yeah. been at home since April, right? Everyone's, you know, having to shop from shop online and shop at home. And I think, you know, once we come out of COVID, like those habits, I don't think are going to go away. And so for us, like we're super bullish on making sure we have a really solid foundation with not only our website, but the, you know, online e-retail partners that we're selling through so that, you know, as we come out of COVID, we continue to have really strong distribution digitally to the future. 
Yep. I, I could see the some of the retail partners leaning on you guys also for maybe advice and best practices. And I mean, I've seen some of the bigger companies kind of looking at, not that you're a startup, but looking at startups, looking at people who are able to be agile and move quickly and kind of trying to figure out like, well, what are you guys doing? Like, tell us what are the best practices right now? Because what we've been doing for the past couple of years was just thrown up into the air and we have to kind of rewrite how we do things now. So do they ever kind of hit you up and be like, hey, James, how should we set this up? Or how are you guys doing this so we can, you know, replicate this? Totally. No, no, no. I mean, I like I'm, I'm always there's always like other people in the industry that we're like talking to. And there's always people that we like, you know, whether it's people in the bike industry or other businesses, or other friends that have businesses. Um, and I think like, again, always happy to you know talk with them. And we, you know, for us, you say that, you know, we aren't a startup, we are a startup. Like I still, you know, we've been doing this for 10 years. I still feel like it's a startup. We have our yeah. team still pretty lean. There's only like 10 of us and we're super nimble and able to, you know, move quick, which is, mm-hmm. which is great and allowed us to like pivot and make changes when things like COVID happen that bigger companies can't do. And so that, and then we're able to, you know, once we find successes, we can double down and grow on those. And so, yeah, I, uh, you know, we're, 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 we're staying nimble and kind of going with the flow and, and learning quick. So. Mm -hmm. That's great. All right, cool. Let's jump over to the lightning round. The lightning round is brought to you by Salesforce Commerce Cloud. This is where I'm going to ask you a question and you have a minute or less to answer. Are you ready, James? I am ready. All right. What is your favorite business book that you think about or refer back to? It's not a business book per se, but it is You Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins. Oh, okay. I like that. I actually have not heard of that, I don't think. It's like the quick hitter on it. It's it's about like ad- overcoming adversity and like pushing yourself. And I think like that's so important in business is like understanding that you, know, you can go overcome adversity and always setting your bar higher and higher. Mm-hmm. And um, it, again, it's not technically a business book, but I think there's a ton of good business lessons you can learn from it. I like that. That sounds good. I'll have to check it out. If you were to have a podcast, what would it be about? And who would your first guest be? Oh my gosh. If I were to have a podcast, I would talk about, I personally, my favorite thing outside of business and bicycles is traveling. So I would, uh, I would do a travel blog and my first guest would be Barack Obama. There you go. I'd listen to that. That sounds good. What is the nicest thing anyone's ever done for you? Ooh, the nice thing. Oh, this is this is big. Uh, this is big. My, Heavy. My friend, my friend Mario and Ken. They, you know, in the early days when we started up our USC shop, these guys would come out every year and work for back to school, which is our craziest time of year for that shop. We we sell like a thousand bikes in like two weeks. And they would come out and stay at my place, crash on my floor and help us, you know, every year for like the first four years. So shout out to Mario and Ken. Oh, that is really nice. That's a good answer. What trend or tech do you not understand today that you wish you did? What trend or tech? TikTok. There you go. I, I don't get it, but I feel like I need to get it. Yep. Okay. I've had some other people say that as well. You're in good company. Others don't also do not understand it. All right. And then the last bigger one, what one thing will have the biggest impact on e-commerce in the next year? And it can't be COVID because we've had too many people say that. I think it's going to be like shipping. I feel like shipping is going to change drastically over the next call one to five years, right? You have like Amazon starting to like do their drones. And then you have like, we're starting to see in LA, these little like robots that are delivering food. 
Yep. And like, yep. so I think, and then on top of that, like FedEx and UPS are just killing everyone with their, all their fees and like their pricing. Like we've been in search peak search charges since like July. And so I just feel mm-hmm. like there's so much potential for disruption there shipping. Yep. Oh, that's a good answer. Yeah, I agree. I, I see a lot of companies, a couple of them actually are in Canada who are trying to get one and two day shipping. Like, I think a lot of more companies will be leaning into that once they figure out, you know, how to make that work. And they also see how reliant they are on the FedExes, the UPSs, yeah. um, and how much it disrupts businesses. Totally, totally. Please, someone come out here. Please help us get our shipping costs down. <laughs> it's so expensive to ship bikes. <laughs> well, maybe, James, that can be your next business. I mean, you've done a lot in your day. You might as well just start a shipping company as well. <laughs> there we go. There we go. All right, James. Well, thanks for coming on the show. Where can people find out more about you and Soleil Bicycles? Totally. You can check us out at soleilbicycles.com or our Instagram, which we update daily, at Soleil Bicycles. And then my personal is at Jimmy Stands. All right. Thanks so much. Thank you guys so much. Appreciate it. listeners. Thanks for tuning into this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. It helps spread the word and I would greatly appreciate it. See you next time. Up Next in Commerce is brought to you by Salesforce Commerce Cloud and created by the team at mission.org. Subscribe now at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for checking out another epic hour of business insights and inspiration on the Up Next in Commerce podcast. If you like what you've heard and you're interested in partnering with us to bring your brand to a growing audience of e-commerce experts, reach out to me at stephanie at mission.org to get the conversation started.